Thanks, Heather. It's really exciting to hear some of the stuff that's happening there at the center. I've got a, a little bit of an inside scoop. My wife's on the board there, so it's been really exciting to hear that they're not just kind of maintaining the ministry that they've been doing over the years. A, a lot of that's been great, but now they're looking at how do we continue to be effective? How do we find new avenues for being effective and in, in reaching into our community? So it's really exciting stuff happening there. Uh, if you are in the youngest age group uh, that is here in the sanctuary, uh, ages three through six, you are now invited, if you'd like, to go ahead and meet your teachers by the back doors of the sanctuary there. Uh, they'll be headed down to the lower level for a time of teaching and fun, uh, right for their age level. And then parents, after the service, you can pick up uh, your kids in the lower level. And now please, please join me in prayer as we open God's word together. God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. I thank you for this uh, amazing gift that you've given us in, in your word. Uh, you have uh, inspired people to write down what they have experienced of who you are. And so we can know you truly through uh, the gift of scripture. And I pray that you would send your spirit now so that we would be able to understand what you have uh, said to us through your word and that we would have hearts that are open to respond to your word this morning. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about a time uh, when you really felt like you didn't belong in a particular uh, situation. So you were an outsider looking in, everyone else is having fun, but you're very clearly uh, an outsider to this. You, you don't belong. Uh, most of us have had those kind of experiences, and it's, it's, a not very, uh, it's not a very comfortable feeling. I grew up uh, in a missionary family. I was a missionary kid, and there are lots of benefits to that. Uh, but there was this thing called furlough, and furlough is basically, it means every several years our family would have to leave our home in Alaska, and we'd go down and visit uh, individuals and churches that provided prayer and financial support for my family. So what that meant to my teenage self was that we spent a lot of time in the car. We drove coast to coast from Oregon all the way to Massachusetts and back. We spent lots of time in, in the car. We spent lots of time seeing people that I didn't know at all. I'm an introvert. That's not my scene. So seeing lots of people that I don't know and visiting lots of churches that I didn't have any history with, that I didn't know anything about. Now, my parents did, did everything they could to try to make this a, a fun experience or at least a, 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 something that we could actually make it through. And, and the people in the churches, that they did their best. But really, it was terrible. I, I hated uh, furlough, absolutely. And, and the worst part in particular was going to youth group uh, as a teenagers. Because you know, adults know that they need to be nice to the, the nerdy, awkward missionary kids. Uh, but, but teenagers, they're, they're not going to do that, right? Uh, so I, I remember one experience in particular. It was actually here in Michigan, uh, down in Holland. Uh, now, this church had the nicest adults in the world, really. They, they were so kind and so generous and and it kind of tricked my sister and I into thinking that maybe youth group wasn't going to be so bad. Uh, but we were wrong. So the day that we went to youth group, uh, they were having uh, a pool party. Uh, now, I grew up in Alaska, right? I, I am not a strong swimmer. In Alaska, we associate getting in the water with a life-threatening situation. So I can kind of keep from drowning, but it's not pretty when I get in the water. So already, I'm at a disadvantage. Uh, now, also, my, my torso is kind of the, the color of the Arctic snow. It's, it's very white. There's not a lot of opportunity for uh, tanning in Alaska. And then further on top of that, I'm this missionary kid from Alaska. I'm not a cool kid. So I've got all these disadvantages already coming into this day. And then there are all these tan, cool kids from wealthy families, and they could probably swim across Lake Michigan and back if they really had to. And so they're having fun together, and they're having their little enjoyable time in the pool party, and and there's me, off on the side, realizing this is not my crowd. I do not belong here at all. I am, I'm kind of trying to sit at the edge, trying to blend in with the pool deck. And, and the whole time, I'm thinking, I don't belong here. 
I don't belong here at all. I am absolutely an outsider to this. And we've all had situations like that, and, it's, and most of them are mild, like what I described, but, but there are times when, when this feeling of, of not belonging, of being an outsider, can just be a, a devastating thing. See, humans have this need to belong. We have this innate sense within us that, that we need to belong. It's right up there with the, the most basic uh, human needs that we have. And so to feel like we are outsiders can be a really devastating thing. It can be a hard place to be. Well, the text that we're going to look at today is written to a people group who didn't belong. That's their history. It's a text that highlights the transformation that has happened for those who are followers of Jesus. We have gone from being outsiders to being people who belong. Now, last week we saw kind of the first step in what Paul is talking about here. We saw the transformation of the gospel in terms of going from death to life. So he said, you were dead in your sins, but you have been made alive in Jesus. So this amazing transformation from death to life. And here that more individual focus comes to a more corporate focus. You were outsiders, but now you belong. So let's look at the text today. Grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians 2, 11 and 22. Grab a pew Bible if you want. This is found on page 1816. So Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22 page 1816 of the Pew Bibles. As we look at the text this morning, we're going to see uh, three parts to the argument that Paul makes here. Uh, first, who we were, looking back at that, and then looking what, at what Jesus has accomplished, and then looking at who we are now. So let's start with the, the looking back, who we were. This is how Paul puts it, Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now we need to recognize right away that this is spoken from a very Jewish perspective. So the Greeks and the Romans of this day would not have described themselves in these terms as, as Gentiles. So to talk about Jews and Gentiles, to talk about circumcised and uncircumcised, these are very Jewish categories of thought. So Paul, the one who's writing this letter, this early church leader, is using these Jewish categories because he is a Jew, and this is how he looks at the world. Now, some of this stuff is a little bit technical, and, and if you don't have a church background, this can be a little bit difficult to understand uh, exactly what he's talking about here. There's a whole ton of background that goes into this. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that, but we'll speak just enough so that we can kind of get a sense of what's happening here. So, so what is he saying to these readers? These are non-Jews that he's writing to, and they need to understand something about their history, about who they were. And he highlights the outsider status of these non-Jews in, in five different ways. He just stacks them together there in verse 12. Look, look back at verse 12. He says initially, you were separate from Christ. Now, when we hear the word Christ, we immediately think Jesus, right? And that's good, Jesus Christ. We think of it sometimes in terms of like first name Jesus, last name Christ. Christ is actually a title. It means uh, a king, uh, the anointed one, or the Messiah. And that's the point here. It's pointing back to this uh, hope that the Jewish people had that God had made a promise that he would send this king and this king would rescue God's people. So when he says you are separate from Christ, it means you are separate from this hope of the Messiah, the, the hope of having a king who will come and rescue you. Being outside of Christ means being outside of that hope. 
He goes on, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Now, Israel was God's chosen people. And if you've read the Old Testament, you've got a sense of what that means. This past year, we've been uh, taking this Read Scripture Challenge as a church, and hopefully you've read through all the way through the Old Testament. You have a, a picture of what that looks like. See, God's plan has always been to bless the entire world, but he started off by doing that through a particular family. So he chose this man named Abraham, and he spoke blessings to Abraham and his family. The intention was always to go through all nations, but starting with this particular people. So that means that God's blessings were mediated through the Jews. So for the purposes here, being outside of the Jewish people meant that you were outside of God's blessings. He goes on, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And again, this is pointing back to all this history that God has with his people through the Old Testament. God made amazing promises to them to show love, to show compassion, to bless them. And he made covenants with his people along the way. There was a promise for, for being in community with them, being in a relationship with them, to show them love and blessing and kindness. If you were outside of Israel, you were outside of those promises, outside of those covenants. He says further, you were without hope. So he's being increasingly blunt here. That the hope of God's people always rests on God's action. And if you're not part of God's people, then you don't have any hope, only wishful thinking. And then finally, you were without God. Now, this is what it comes down to. This is the starting point for every one of us. We're living outside of a relationship with the true God. And all of these things together are painting a picture that we need to remember. You were outsiders. The people that Paul was writing to, they're not part of the Jewish people originally. They were outsiders to all of these blessings, all of these promises, all of this hope. And the same is true of us. This is our starting point. We were outsiders. If there's no Jesus, all of those promises are not for us. We are outside of them completely. That means that we, we don't belong when it comes to all these amazing promises that God has made. Now, I got to see a, a picture of, of not belonging, a picture of being a, a foreigner when I was uh, in seminary. We were living in the Chicago area, and I got connected in with this uh, Burmese refugee family through World Relief. I got to be an English tutor uh, for them for a, a semester. And as we worked through some English skills, I got to hear their story. And it was really fascinating to hear uh, how much they, they loved Myanmar, their home country. They loved it. it. It was their home. They were proud of it. They, they, they wanted to be back there. One day they showed me this video that it must have been uh, produced by the kind of tourist industry or something in Myanmar. And it was showing all these different fascinating cultural elements of, of their home country. And they kept pausing the video and, and explaining, because it wasn't English, so I didn't understand anything that was being said. I could just see all the different uh, parts of the culture and the natural uh, geography and stuff that I got to see a picture of. And they kept pausing it to explain more, and they were so excited about it. But if you know anything about, about Myanmar, you'll know that political unrest has been just devastating there. In fact, it's just been in the news over the past week. And because of this violence, because of the instability, it sent uh, this family running away from their home. And so they were living in refugee camps outside of Myanmar for a number of years, wanting to go home, but knowing that it was just uh, too dangerous. And finally, they arrived in the U.S. and they were resettled here as refugees. But of course, going from uh, Myanmar, rural Myanmar, to suburban Chicago was a huge culture shock. It was overwhelming. Everything was different. And it was interesting to watch this stuff that I just take for granted was totally foreign, totally different for them. And there was the language barrier, and that's why I was working with them on, on English skills. There were cultural barriers and working them through different things. I saw them struggle with, with basic things like, how do we navigate the process of getting a driver's license? 
so they could gain more mobility, more independence. I saw them navigate the process of, of having and, and holding a job in the United States. The husband was working for a meatpacking plant and trying to figure out all the ins and outs of that. They had a little child. They were trying to figure out the health care system. How do we make sure that he gets the care that he needs? They had some issues with their apartment. How do we navigate talking to a landlord? All of these different things, realizing that every single one of them was communicating, you're not from here. You're a foreigner. This is what it meant to be an outsider. It was very clear message to them. You just don't belong here yet. Unfortunately, they had people walking them through that process to, to help them through all that. But it was a, a really clear picture of this is what it looks like to be an outsider. This is what it looks like to be a foreigner. And that's what Paul is describing here. And that's our history. We were outsiders. And he tells us to remember that. And a big part of why we need to remember that is to highlight how amazing it is that Jesus has done for us what he has. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's turning our attention now into this, this major shift that has happened. This is your history. You were outsiders, but now this is what has happened in Jesus. You were far away. You've been brought near. And now he's going to focus his attention in on what Jesus has accomplished. So that's what we turn to next. Look at verses 14 and 15. Speaking of Jesus, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now, peace is the big word over this whole middle section of what Jesus has accomplished. We see in verse 14, Jesus is our peace. In verse 15, Jesus made peace. In a minute, we're going to look at verse 17. Jesus preached peace to those who were far. He preached peace to those who were near. So the big thing that Jesus has done is that he has made peace for us. And this peace first is spoken of in terms of the relationship between Jews and non-Jews. This is what he'd been talking about in verses 11 and 12, what we were outside of. So Paul's saying that, that what Jesus did, part of what Jesus did in bringing peace is to remove the divide between the Jewish people, God's people, and those who are outside of God's people. So there's this dividing wall, he calls it a barrier, that created hostility between Jews and non-Jews. That barrier is further defined in verse 15 as the law. Now again, some of this is going to be a little bit technical, so stay with me here. One thing we need to understand here as we talk about the law is that the law is good. It is God's law after all. It's the revelation of who God is. It defines what is right and what is wrong in the eyes of God and establishes the, the identity of God's people. But what had happened over time is that the law became a point of hostility. And so it became a dividing wall, a barrier that, that fueled further hostility between Jews and non-Jews. And you see a lot of writing from this time period that talks in those terms about God's law. So what Jesus has done is to fulfill the law. We see him talking about this in, in the gospel. So the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus is speaking a lot about uh, what the law is and what he's doing to the law. And this is what he says, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is fulfilled the law. That means that he has come and, and done what it requires, and he has brought it to completion. It has fulfilled its role. Jesus has fulfilled the law. So to say here that Jesus destroyed the barrier and set aside the, or, let, or nullified the law with its commands and regulations 
means that it can no longer serve as a dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, and it now has to be understood and applied in him. Paul says that, that Jesus has created something new. He has taken these two people groups with a barrier between them and has created a new single people group. This is what Jesus has done. He has brought peace. And on a horizontal level, what that means is that there's no divide between Jews and non-Jews now. It is one new people of God. So there's a horizontal dimension to what it means for Jesus to have brought peace. But there's also a vertical dimension to what it means for Jesus to bring peace. This is the more foundational one, actually. Look at verses 16 through 18, picking up halfway through verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, So this is the vertical dimension of the peace that Jesus brings. He brings us peace with God the Father. And the fundamental way that Jesus does that is by reconciling us to God through the cross. Our rebellion against God, our turning away from him, has another kind of hostility between us, all humans, and God. There's a hostility there. We set ourselves up as God's enemies. And what that means is that we now deserve death. We deserve condemnation. And yet Jesus took the punishment that we deserve on himself. The death that we deserve to die, he died in our place. And the result of that is that we are reconciled to God. That dividing wall between us and God has been removed by the cross. We are now reconciled to him. That hostility is destroyed. We have peace with God. He says we now have access to the Father by God's Spirit. That means that we belong now. We are God's children And this is an offer that is universal. It's made to everyone. He says he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. So it's a universal offer that that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be reconciled to the Father. And this is the foundation of the peace that Jews and Gentiles have as well. This vertical peace that we have with God affects the horizontal peace that we have with one another. So as I am reconciled to God and you are reconciled to God, we find that we are reconciled to each other as well. This is what Jesus has done. He has come and made peace. And this sets us up to understand who we are now. So we've, saw, we've seen who we were. We were outsiders. We've seen what Jesus has accomplished. He made peace. And now we see what is true of us now. Who are we now? Here's the result of all this. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, in this last section here, we're going to see three different metaphors that describe what it means for us to belong now in Jesus. And the first one is citizenship. We are not foreigners and strangers. We are now fellow citizens with God's people. Now, there's, of course, been much talk about immigration and refugees in the United States and really around the world over the past few years. And this gives us a way of understanding what Paul is talking about here. So when we see displaced people from conflict-ravaged regions, like my Burmese uh, refugee friends I mentioned earlier, we get a sense of what it looks like to be foreigners and strangers. We know what it it looks like to have refugees, exiles, undocumented immigrants. And some of us have come from families where our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents were immigrants. It's the history of our church right here. 
Immigrants from Sweden came over to the United States to uh, uh, get away from persecution in Sweden. A bunch of them made it to the Midwest. Some of them made it to Ludington here. And 140 years ago, they started this church on the other side of town. And as they navigated a, a new country and, and tried to figure out what it meant to, to live uh, here in, in this new country as outsiders, they had comfort to gather in worship services to hear God's word in Swedish. And they would sing the old Swedish hymns. For the first 50 years of our church's existence, services were held in Swedish. Now, over time, these immigrants came to feel more and more at home in the U.S. They became citizens. They became uh, citizens of the U.S. And now, some of you who are actually direct descendants of them feel very much at home here. You belong here. So it's going from an immigrant to someone who is a full citizen. You feel like you belong now. That's the kind of transformation that, that Jesus brings to us. We were outsiders, but we've been made citizens. We're not foreigners or exiles or undocumented immigrants. We belong. Jesus himself provides our papers. So we are citizens. That's the first way he talks about what it means for us to belong. The second metaphor is in that same verse, in verse 19. We're part of the family. He says we are part of God's household, members of God's household. And that takes this citizenship language and it makes it more personal. So it's not just that, that you got your citizenship papers in Jesus, as important as that is, but it's now that, that you are sons and daughters of God in him. You have a new father. You've been adopted into this family. You belong now to God's family. You are sons and daughters of the king. Your family now. Then we get a third metaphor, verses 20 to 22. Again, picking up halfway in verse 19. He says, we are fellow citizens with God's people. We are members of his household. Verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this third metaphor that he gives us of what it means to belong is that we're built into a temple. And we are, we are a house for, for God's own residence. We're, we're built into a building to the glory of God, a place where God himself dwells. And the foundation of this building that's being uh, built up is the apostles and the prophets. So they're the ones who, who pass on the message of Jesus. They wrote it down so that we can read it and know who God is, to know what Jesus has done for us. And that the foundation is, is that message. But the cornerstone, the most important piece, is Jesus himself. He is the one who sets the, the course for what the whole building is going to look like. The whole building holds together in him. He's the most important part, the vital piece that keeps everything together. So three different metaphors that are building this point that we belong. We are true citizens. We are members of God's family. We are a holy temple. So three ways of emphasizing the same thing. We belong. We have to understand here is that, that this is our story. This is, this is the story of you and I. We were outsiders. But now we belong because of what Jesus has done for us. This is crucial because belonging is such an important part of what it means to be a human and to thrive as a human. I came across a study on belonging. I was surprised to see just how important this was. So this professor at Stanford was working with students to see how big of an impact this made if they felt like they belonged. So they, they took these freshman uh, students through what they called belonging intervention. I thought that was hilarious, belonging intervention. So it's this simple thing. They sat them down in a room, 
And they, they uh, for 45 minutes, they, they gave him this, this very basic set of messages. And the message was this, you are not alone. You belong, and it gets better. There's lots of stress coming into cause, lots of unknowns as you're entering into this new community. And so they gave him these three tools. You are not alone, you belong, and it gets better. So what happened? Well, these 45 minutes had a powerful, lasting impact on these students. They found that it increased health, it increased happiness, it had a positive impact on academic achievement, it prevented them from focusing on negative experiences that they were having, it made them feel less marginalized, it made them feel more like they belong. In other words, it worked. And these positive effects lasted for years afterwards. I thought this was fascinating. For less than an hour of time, 45 minutes, and it helped give these students feel like they really do belong for years to come. Less than an hour and an impact over years following that. And what's fascinating to me is, is that this is right in line with what Paul is talking about. He's reminding us, no, you belong. You have a story of who you are, and, and, and it's a fantastic story. It's a true story. You, you were outsiders. Yes, that's true, but now you belong in Jesus. So you are not alone. You have Jesus with you. God lives inside of you by his spirit. You are not alone. He's always with you. You belong. Yes, maybe you were outsiders before, but now you belong. You are part of the family. You are, you are a citizen of God's people, and it gets better. All these promises of God that are tied to this. This is our story. We were outsiders, but now we belong. It's, it's such a huge impact on how we actually live our lives. And I want to reflect a little bit on what that means. And my wife and I spent some time this past week thinking about the, the promises of God that we come back to again and again and again. And I want to spend some time just reflecting on some of those promises this morning. So you don't have to get a pen down and try to make notes on this. I can give you the references later if you want. But for now, I just want you to, to sit and hear the promises of God and soak in what this means to be recipients of these promises. So just listen to a few of these. From Hebrews 13, 5, God says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Romans 8, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Isaiah 65, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Matthew 16, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And those are just a few of them. Now, here's the thing. Without Jesus, none of those are promises for us. If there's no Jesus, we are outside of every one of the promises of God. We are outsiders looking in. Those are not promises for us to hold on to. But in Jesus, all of those promises are true for us. And this is what we need to come to understand. These are for you. These promises are now for you. Now, for many of us, it's easy to forget that these are actually for us personally. Now, of course, some of these are speaking to particular salvation historical moments, but the promises that are given to us are, are given to us in Jesus, and they are truly for us. It's easy to come to church and to think that everyone else seems to get it but us. Everyone else seems to be put together. Everyone else seems to be hanging on to this stuff, but we just don't get it. We don't feel like it's really for us. We must not really belong. But this is what's offered to us. If you are in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, then these are for you. And when you grab a hold of these promises, they will totally transform how you experience life. Talk to some people who have been followers of Jesus for some time. Ask them how the promises of God have got them through difficult times. You will find some amazing stories of how this is true. It's very easy for us to, to want to find practical solutions to practical problems. And those are very good things. But we have to start with the big picture. You are not alone. Jesus will be with you always to the very end of the age. You belong. You are a true citizen of God's people. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. It gets better. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more tears or crying or death or pain for the old order is passing away. He's making everything new. These are the promises that God gives us that show us that we truly belong to him. These promises are for us. These promises are not just for, for us who are in this room, though. These promises are for others as well. They're for everybody. These promises are for everyone. I think about my experience as, as a missionary kid, and I realize that that's a common experience for people who come to church. It's very easy to come here and feel like you are on the outside looking in, and everyone else seems to be friends with each other. Everyone else seems to be having a good time together. Everyone else seems to get it. But the church isn't an, an elite group of people who have it all together. It's a gathering of people who are outsiders, who have now been made to belong in Jesus by the love of God. No more barriers, no more human divisions, just people who now belong and belong together because of Jesus. We want everyone that we come across to know that these promises are what is offered to them in Jesus. We want to be the kind of community where there are no barriers, just Jesus, and being together in him, peace with God through him. We now belong, and we belong together in him. Our prayer is that God will make us that kind of community for his glory. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank you that you are a God who knows us intimately. You know every part of who we are. You know every struggle that we have had. You know every struggle that we don't even know is coming in the coming weeks and months. I pray that you would give us a deep sense of what it means to be your children and that knowing who you, we are in you will give us the strength to live every day as your sons and as your daughters. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.